0: listening to the Pro Bono Happy Hour, I'm Rena Gleaser. Welcome back. Today's guest is Dawn Caldart of Quarles and Brady. We discuss the pro bono culture in Milwaukee where Dawn is based, her career, the firm's pro bono program, and the relationship of pro bono to lawyer professional development. We hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Dawn. Welcome to the Pro Bono Happy Hour. Thank you for making time for us. Thank you. I'm happy to be here and participate. Let's jump right in. So Dawn, to start, you have an interesting background and you have had a variety of positions. Could you tell us a little bit about your professional background and how you got to Quarles and Brady?
1: Sure. I certainly have not had a linear path um, in my evolution as a professional I started out um, as a lawyer, as the legal director for the AIDS Resource Center of Wisconsin, running a statewide program to help people living with or affected by HIV and AIDS. And um, after a few years there, I developed some compa- compassion fatigue um, and went into private practice and worked for... Um, several years with an employment civil rights firm representing um, strictly employees and um, people that have had civil rights violations. Um, And then I was approached to run a new program in Milwaukee County. Um, The city of Milwaukee is the fourth poorest in the country, and there are a lot of people that are trying to navigate the court system unrepresented. So the Milwaukee Bar Association, um, in partnership with Milwaukee County and Marquette Law School, um, created what was called the Milwaukee Justice Center, which was a court-based self-help program. Um, so I was recruited to be the executive director and get that project started and um, up and running. and. We went, you know, I, I laugh about it now, but when I walked in there on my first day, I didn't even have a desk or a phone or yep. <laughs> anywhere, anywhere to go. Um, and, we, and that was built up to where we actually got a physical space in the courthouse um, remodeled, and the center now serves over 10,000 people every year. And it's, it's strictly a volunteer-based project. And then um, from there, I was um, friends with Mike Gonring, who has a long history and legacy in Milwaukee for pro bono, um, a partner at Quarles and Brady that had run their pro bono program. And Mike was retiring and um, reached out to me to see if I would be interested in um, coming over to Quarles and running their pro bono program and that is kind of how i ended
0: up here we will talk about mike a little bit more later on but how does the time that you spent at the milwaukee justice center your prior experiences working in the public interest um affect how you operate in your current position
1: that that experience has been a real asset to what it is i'm doing now i mean for one i'm really entrenched in the access to justice community here i know the legal aid partners Um, i know what they're working on what their struggles are Um, so i I bring that lens to what i'm doing here at the firm Um, you know we have offices in a number of states Um, So I'm I'm learning what the the civil legal services uh, landscape is in some of those other states. I was really able to hit the ground running, particularly here in Wisconsin.
0: Were there aspects of either your background or your personality or anything like that that motivated you to pursue, you know, a career in public interest and now a career in pro bono?
1: funny because I was just talking about this the other day with somebody I'm just I have always been a strong advocate for the underdog or the downtrodden or people that you know that just need a hand up Um, and there's just something about helping people that I'm, I'm passionate about you know like everybody deserves a fair shake um, and I think, you know, in the work that we do, that's important.
0: Yeah, I think both having passion and having purpose are sort of critical drivers. So those are great things to identify. So we're going to go on a little frolic now. As Dawn, as you know, because we've chatted about this um, I think a couple months ago, I have this irrational exuberance for Milwaukee. It, <laughs> it it arises from business trips that I made when I was in private practice. And I just, I love that town. But the city was also on my mind, not just in kind of preparing to talk to you and having my happy memories of, of trips to Milwaukee, but I um, recently read an amazing book. And we often give pro bono reading recommendations on our blog and the podcast. And this is definitely one. The book is called Evicted, Poverty and Profit in the American City by Matthew Desmond. It's been around for mm-hmm. a while. It actually took a while for me to get my hold at the DC Public Library. So I'm a little late to it, but it's amazing. He's a sociologist. I think he's now at Harvard. And he was a MacArthur Genius Grant, one of those amazing people. So Don, are you familiar with this book? Do you know it? I am in fact I have it sitting right on the corner of my desk. Yeah. Oh, we did <laughs> yeah. not prepare that. That that was a a sneak attack there. That's amazing. It I would say to any listeners um high high recommend. It it gives amazing insights into Uh, a lot of issues, including the functioning and operation of low-income communities. And what he did, basically he embedded in Milwaukee, in various low-income communities, um, and he examines the costs the collateral consequences of evictions, right? What 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 do you people go through in terms of time, time off from work, the fact that then it's hard to get a job if you have an eviction on your record. It's hard to get another apartment if you have an eviction history. Um, you have to pay the cost of the move, but you don't have any money. It, just the the life choices, the the day-to-day struggles that people and families have. Um, Also, from the landlord's perspective, they're not all big corporate real estate holding companies. A lot of landlords are individuals trying to make a living by owning properties, Um, and he deep dives into sort of all aspects of the community, including the justice system and housing court. And it's, it reads like a novel. I mean, it's really hard to put down. It's so well written. And for anyone who's interested in social justice issues, even if you aren't Super focused on housing issues. I think there's a lot here for you in terms of insights and better understanding of social issues and problems and the obstacles that low-income individuals and popu- um and low-income populations face. And Milwaukee is just the star, right? <laughs> Since it's set there, I'm, right, I'm sure. Right. It, you know,
1: and and I can tell you, I had a front row seat to all of that um, at the Justice Center because. Families were coming in, and they were looking for help and wanting to meet with attorneys to talk about what the process was going to be, what what could they expect, what you know, what should they do? I mean, and we heard so many sad stories about people whose belongings were left on the on the side of the curb, and everything they own was gone. You know, just wrongfully locked out of their homes. Um, And the exciting thing is, because of Matthew's book—I mean, this is something that that the people on the ground here in Milwaukee have been working on for a while—but Matthew's book really helped us get together a collaborative group, um, including Legal Action of Wisconsin, which is the LSC-funded organization here in Milwaukee, um, Marquette Law School, the Justice Center, the courts. Quarles and Brady is partnering, and we're uh, creating an eviction defense project. And Legal Action just um, was successful and getting a grant from LSC Corporation so that we can hire um, an administrator for this project and have um, a .8 paralegal dedicated to it. So my goal in um, my role is to offer representation for everyone that's going through an eviction um, by using pro bono attorneys um, at all of the large law firms here in Milwaukee. So that's, that's where we're, we're headed. Um, and it, it's, it's exciting. It's exciting to see everybody coming together in the community around this issue and marshaling up resources. Um, To really make an impact and since we've been since we've gotten started other organizations that are working on infant mortality and um, and how eviction plays into that have come to us and are wanting to do sort of a a whole holistic approach Um, housing social services agencies and um, so the hope is that this will be more of a wraparound project from start to finish
0: that is such a promising development and I really commend this book to people wherever you are. I think it will give you amazing ideas, um, insights, and it's a great motivator. So if you have people who are on the fence about whether they can make a difference, even just select chapters, including the one about housing court, I think will really move the needle. It's it's hard not to be moved for that. So let's pivot. This is a nice segue, actually, to talk a little bit in general about the pro bono and access to justice culture in Milwaukee. You've, you've hit on that a little bit in terms of the players. Um, how would you describe what the landscape is like there in Milwaukee?
1: Well, uh, we have an Access to Justice Commission, which is fairly new. Um, you know, traditionally, Milwaukee is a city of volunteers. People that care about their communities really want to give back, are um, generous in their financial contributions to organizations. I would say, you know, Marquette um, Law School, which is situated in Milwaukee, hired a Dean of Public Service. and when that started you really started to see the culture of pro bono change over time so it's that program and the opportunities that are afforded to students to work with civil legal service organizations has really started to change um the landscape in in my mind at least Um, and you see new lawyers coming out of law school who pro bono is part and parcel of how they practice. Um, And it's been really great to see that shift.
0: And that's a lot of how culture change happens, generationally, right? We indoctrinate people when they're young, and they've got the ethic, and they demand it. And I think that marries also a lot of what we know about millennials and where people are and, and what they want. So I think that's fantastic. Actually, excellent shout out to Marquette, your alma mater. So fantastic there. I. There is an amazing quote in something that's called the Vault Guide to Law Firm Pro Bono Program. So a lot of law students listening will be familiar with this publication. And as part of Quarles and Brady's firm profile, there's a really compelling description that I wanted to share. It says, we strive to use our resources to help those whose problems exist right outside our windows in the communities in which we practice. We feel strongly about this bottom-up approach to pro bono as a means to provide legal services to those in greatest need of our help. So could you tell us a little bit more about the firm in general and the firm's pro bono program?
1: We have almost 500 attorneys throughout all of our offices, um, but we really do focus on local pro bono. Um, there have been a few exceptions to that with some death penal- ABA death penalty cases and the clemency project and those types of things, but we really try to take cases and projects that affect people and families where we live and work. Um, that is you know, the, ma- the main focus of what we do from a pro bono um, perspective. And we we tie that in um, with our corporate social responsibility where we support schools and, um, you know, children in low-income neighborhoods and really try to make a difference for those families.
0: So with your emphasis on local and the communities that we live and work in and helping, as as the great quote is, right outside our windows, how do you navigate that? You're in Milwaukee. The firm has offices, Florida, you know, all around, <laughs> right, not right. just Milwaukee, yeah. not just the greater even, you know, Wisconsin area. So how do you have your boots on the ground in all these places?
1: If we try to look at it as one firm, one long hallway, um, because it can be challenging connecting uh, different offices and each office has its own own culture and and uniqueness about it so what we try to do and what we what we've been successful in doing is we have a pro bono coordinator in each of our offices that is a partner in that office so that partner and coordinator has established relationships with the civil legal service providers and nonprofit organizations within their community and the attorneys in that office go to that coordinator to vet pro bono cases and new projects and those types of things. Um, and then all of our pro bono coordinators, we meet uh, quarterly via video conference to bring everybody together. And we try to share successes of each of the offices um, by marketing out through our intranet and, email blasts um, and sharing with everyone all of the good things that are happening.
0: Coordinators serve such a great purpose. They know the people in their office. You can't always know them or know them That's all right. extremely mm-hmm. well. They, they live it with them, they see them all the time. And they know their community. So they know all the legal services players that can be very hard to sort of master from afar um, in a lot of different places. So um, super useful on a lot of different levels. Right,
1: right. And we too, um, Mike Levy is
0: uh, Located here in
1: Milwaukee, and he is the national partner in charge of pro bono. He's kind of stepped in. It's taken three of us to step into the roles of our predecessor, <laughs> McConring, yeah. and do his job. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Mike and I do try um, to travel to all of our offices. Um, we're both, you know, just two years into this um, these roles. And we have met with all of our pro bono coordinators um, in each of the offices, and our next trip is going to um, be to meet with the the civil legal services providers in in those communities, and really start to try to develop um, those relationships as well.
0: So as you mentioned, you're on the verge of your two-year anniversary. That's amazing, you know, yay, happy anniversary. So um, (laughs) (laughs) has the honeymoon lasted? It, it has, you know, I
1: also have um, responsibility, pro bono is, is half of my time, it ends up being more between 60 and 70%, I think, but um, professional development, I am also responsible for. So, the two areas really um, mesh nicely together. Um, I think pro bono affords a lot of professional development opportunities, especially for new lawyers. Um you know whether it's to get into court and try a case or to work with to work with a client and um, on, on a level that they wouldn't necessarily uh, have with one of the firm's clients. Maybe for several years even. It's been uh, not really have, having had a professional development background prior to coming to the firm. Um, it, it's been it's been nice to see how those two areas really work and complement one another.
0: So sort of two years in, I wanna drill into this a little bit and then we'll go back to some things, but how how do you see pro bono as, effectively and strategically being used as part of lawyer training. Um, How does it work sort of on the firm level and on an individual lawyer level? Are there any sort of tricks of the trade that you've learned or sort of sales pitches that you've honed that help with the why do pro bono or what lessons learned and advice do you have on that front?
1: Well you know we used some of the PBI materials when I first came in to really lay out the business case for pro bono. and you know, our client, our clients are expecting it. Our clients are doing it. Um, there's opportunities to partner with our clients and really be able to help more people than we're already helping. Um, and it, it it helps from the individual lawyer's perspective to really hone their skills, at, at least the newer attorneys. Um, so when when we have a new class come in, we really talk to them about. Um, you know, with pro bono, you have an opportunity to handle a case from start to finish, being mentored by one of the partners. Um, we, we have an, a partner assigned to every pro bono case that oversees whatever an associate is doing on that particular case. And it gives it gives them an opportunity to work with lawyers, per, perhaps outside of their practice group and really develop their network within the firm, um, and, and, the, and those things. I think besides just doing pro bono makes you feel good and it's the right thing to do, those things also help to incentivize this is why you should do pro bono.
0: Do you see people being strategic and really saying, uh, you know, I haven't really written a brief this year? could I get in on a pro bono amicus brief? Or, you know, I haven't really gotten some stand-up court this year. I'm gonna strategically take on some pro bono matters that would do that. Do you see that in action? I do see that in action more so with the litigators where they really, they want to get
1: into court. They wanna be in front of a judge. They wanna get more comfortable in the courtroom. Um, so, So they will often come to me saying, I'm looking for litigation opportunities. However, I would say, generally, um, it's more organic than that. I, it seems to me that people come to it at first because they want to make a difference. They want to help somebody.
0: Or they have a passion, right, for a certain area. Uh-huh. Right, whether
1: it's domestic violence, whether it's education and in, in truancies or guardianship for kids that are going to age out and they need a guardianship in place so that their benefits continue. I mean, it's it's whatever drives that person is really how they come at pro bono first, I think.
0: You spoke about having a robust, I'll just call it a supervisory program where, where partners are supervising um, in pro bono matters. Is, is pro bono part of the lawyer evaluation process at the firm?
1: It is. So pro bono at Corals and Brady is voluntary. Um, however, associates are given billable hour credit for it, and there's no limit to that. So we see you know, a lot of associates getting involved um, just to, to, to learn more, to meet more people, um, to work with attorneys outside of their practice groups. That that sort of internal networking that um, happens at legal clinics or um, on projects where the teams meet is all beneficial in building your network within the firm.
0: Looking back over your last two years, what have been your biggest surprises?
1: Oh, well, for me, I would say coming from a nonprofit where I was the executive director and just had to make decisions and get things done, and limited resources. Sort of the jack of all trades within that organization, to a place where, um, you know, you have to you have to vet things through the proper channels, right? I can't just go off and <laughs> um, take something because I feel passionate about it. I have to look at it from a more global perspective. Um, And just learning how to navigate that um, has has been challenging but also also fun because I have so many resources at my disposal now that I didn't have before like a marketing team and a research team and a financial team um, and and really tapping into those resources um, in a way that can help us just continue to grow um, our pro bono program.
0: So I'm going to call that you can't be a lone ranger, but at least you have a desk. <laughs> <Which> <laughs> you... <laughs> yes, that is uh, a succinct way to describe <laughs> that for sure. So we've 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 nibbled around this, and I know that no two days are the same. But in general, you know, how do you spend your time? And since that's kind of an impossible question to answer, you could go this route. Is there anything that you wish you could be doing more of? You just kind of never get to that because there's so much else that you're doing.
1: I, you know, I, I just said recently, like I miss, I miss the boots on the ground. Um, you know, when I when I was at the justice center, there were always people there that that needed help. Like from the minute I walked into the door until I left, in that intensity, um, and I missed that. So I decided, um, well, I'm going to just. Carry more pro bono cases myself. I need to take some cases that r- will really challenge me. Um, so I did that, and then I was just like, "Oh my gosh!" <laughs> <laughs> ah! You know, after after being away from it for a while, and then I'm like, these. You know these are real people that have real issues and I want to do right by them and I want to focus all of my time (laughs) on making sure that this comes out the way that's gonna be best for this family Um, so then that was okay and it helped me understand more how the lawyers in my firm are doing that how are they managing their active caseload for me it's running pro bono and professional development and handling these very different, you know, cases with real people, right? Not just an organization that doesn't perhaps have a face.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think that's great, right? You, you, while doing your pro bono work, got insights actually into your stakeholders, (laughs) right? Because you were able to walk in the shoes of your lawyers a little more closely. And I also think this highlights um, something that you identified earlier, which is compassion fatigue. Um, and this is something that I've been thinking a lot about in the last few years in terms of pro bono volunteers, that we are asking people in you know, corporate law firms, corporate legal departments, corporate law firms who work, for the most part, for businesses, for companies, um, about deals about, you know, matter corporate matters, commercial matters. And we're taking them out of their comfort zone and throwing them in to do something they're completely capable and competent to do, and they're gonna do a great job, but they're exposed to, sort of like what we were talking about with the book Evicted, to people often very different than them, circumstances that can be horrific, um, people who have suffered incredible trauma, and it's not something that for many people are easy to turn on, turn off. Um, and we don't always appreciate that. I think that our pro bono lawyers can be struggling, can internalize, and um, so being sensitive to that, I think, is incredibly helpful. And being able to sort of care for the pro bono providers and the, the people doing the work. Having recently
1: done that and looking at it, you know, from from the shoes of our attorneys. You know what kinds of projects can we do and create um, that that might tap more into um, people's particular wheelhouses, or uh, you know, um, doing a, an eviction defense project where it's a it's a narrow area of a law, and you can quickly become um, knowledgeable in that area, so that that you know when people come in the door, how you're going to help them.
0: Yep. Which also overlays um, with your professional development, you know, what can we take on where we can give people the appropriate training, how they learn, with the time that they have to give, you know, discreet, targeted, build up their expertise, and then also make an impact. You know, that's, that's right. very important, being able right. to make a difference.
1: And, and those sort of stepped projects, where they can start by doing intake and then giving brief legal advice and getting comfortable with the subject matter, and then going into court with the client in front of the commissioner, and then hey, maybe they're comfortable with that, and they're going to now start going um, to court with the client in front of the judge.
0: To use what it yeah to use what is a, a dated and probably not. PC reference anymore. We used to call these, right, the pro bono gateway drugs, right? You, you give people little bits, and they feel comfortable, and then they step it up, and they step it up, and they step it up. Um, so I think that's another great framework and way of thinking about it.
1: Yeah, and, you know, it was interesting, too. Um, we created a couple of pro bono videos this year that are on um, the Quarles and Brady website, and some of the attorneys said that They've never had a client more grateful than a pro bono client, and one of the attorneys talked about how he had worked on a death penalty case for over 20 years, um, and that the client, you know, was one of the the best clients that he had ever had. Um, really. Uh, you know, got to know this man over the course of 20 years as they both grew up and how that case had impacted him and as a professional and as a person. Um, and so it was really powerful stuff. And it was a good reminder for me, um, you know, people do pro bono for a lot of reasons, um, but it, they do it because it feels good to do it. And it really, when you're helping somebody on that kind of level um, and and utilizing your training and your skills that, you know, if not you, then who? Because there's, you know, only a lawyer can help with these types of things, Um, it can be pretty powerful.
0: It is very powerful and I would like to plug these videos. I had planned to do this even before you mentioned it. So listeners, if you're interested, go to YouTube, you could search for why Quarles and Brady provides pro bono services. That'll bring at least some of them up and they're really good. They're very well done, so amazing on that. So let's look a little bit to the future. We talked a little bit about your new project with housing in in Milwaukee, but what else is on the horizon that you might be able to mention? Tell us about one or two other new things or one or two shorter long-term goals that you have in mind for the program.
1: The, the Housing Corps project that I've, I've previous, previously mentioned is really um, going to be the major focus within the next year. Um, and ramping that program up, we're going to start just by piloting the project a, a couple of afternoons a week, um, really working through the process. So that when we ramp it up, we can quickly train all of our volunteer attorneys, and we've worked out all of the kinks for them before they even walk in the door. Um, And, you know, our our long-term goal with that is really to have a permanent presence in the Milwaukee County Courts um, for eviction defense work. So, and and working collaboratively with all of the other the other law firms to make sure that we can staff this. So that that is going to be a big um, time commitment for us. Um, and in our Indianapolis office, um, we just had an associate there that started up a legal clinic for the Wheeler Mission, which is a homeless shelter. Um, and our attorneys are, you know, taking projects on like that. We had a, um, an associate in our Madison office that started a domestic abuse um, clinic uh, that, that it was her idea. She figured out how to make it happen, and now it's grown and a bunch of attorneys are involved. And other attorneys from outside of Quarles and Brady are now getting involved in the project. So just doing more of, of that type of work, again, you know, outside of the windows where we work and in the communities where we live.
0: We already talked a little bit about, Mike. My- Gonring, we're big fans of his here at PBI. And it was really nice to see that in 2015, the firm honored him. Um, he was is an indefatigable pro bono advocate by creating the Quarles and Brady Michael Gonring Pro Bono Award. I, I think awards can really be meaningful ways to honor a pro bono champion's legacy. So how do you intend to use the award to motivate and honor pro bono participation at the firm?
1: Well, we're we're in the thick of our second annual <laughs> Mike Gunring Pro Bono Award season, um, and we've we've chosen some winners that we're going to be announcing next week, um, and we um, present those awards at our all partners meeting uh, in December, and uh, the attorneys are that receive those awards are recognized in front of all of the partners. Um, and then they get to make a thousand dollar donation to the charity of their choice in honor of the work that they've done. Um, and it's, it is a nice way to just create some excitement um, around pro bono, but to also recognize um, all of the good work that the attorneys in the firm are doing. And we also recognize attorneys that have 50 or more pro bono hours. And in that, um, celebration of the Michael Ganring Pro Bono Awards, we will be recognizing the attorneys with 50 or more hours as well.
0: Could you share one or two stories of pro bono matters, either that you've worked on through the course of your career or that other people maybe at the firm worked on that you just find to be particularly meaningful and compelling?
1: yeah I I can share one that I had um, recently it it was it was challenging for me Um, the client was just really angry the first time that I met her and I thought oh you know I don't know if I can do this because this we're we're just not going to have this relationship where where she can trust me and know that I'm gonna really look out for her best interests and um and she just she just like blew up and then she walked out and a few minutes later she came back in and she'd been crying and she's like I'm so sorry you didn't deserve that you know I'm just this situation has just got me so upset I don't know how to channel it um and and she gave me the biggest hug and she was just you know just sobbing and it was a good reminder to me because I was angry right I'm like who what is going on here I'm just trying to help you um and it was a good reminder to me that you know you don't always know what people are carrying and to be kind and to just try to um show them a little bit of i don't know you know give them a little bit of room and space um to work it work out what it is they're going through and not not to take it personally right um and we ended up You know getting a successful outcome for her that really made a difference for her and her and her kids Um, but it that for me it sticks with me a lot when I find myself getting frustrated because maybe I have a pro bono client that's non responsive or um, you know isn't getting me the information that I need from them in order to pursue their case Uh, I always will take a step back and say I don't know what they're carrying. And it, it gives me that little extra bit of patience that I need
0: to just stick with it. That is a wonderful reminder, and that's definitely going to be one of my takeaways from our conversation, uh, for sure. Um, so Dawn, who is your pro bono or access to justice role model? You know, I've, I've thought about
1: that question. and. You know, Mike Gonring for sure, right? Uh, I mean, he he really was at the beginning of this shift in culture, pro bono culture here in Milwaukee and and in Wisconsin, and instrumental in developing you know the program here at Quarrels for sure, but also impacting the other firms around us um, based on what what he had done. Um, and, and I will also say, you know, Angela Schultz, who is the Dean of Public Service at Marquette, um, and Mary Ferwerda, who is now the Executive Director of the Justice Center, and all of these these friends that I have that are, are on the ground every day doing the hard work. And you know, I worked with them when we got um, the Milwaukee Justice Center Mobile Legal Clinic up and going, which is actually like a bus. We bought a bus. We. Uh, retrofitted it with tables and computers and we take that bus out into low-income communities um, and meet people where they're at to help provide them with brief legal advice and there's all kinds of ways and and Mike Gonring was a part of that and there's all kinds of ways where people could say that's never going to work and but this group of people here in Milwaukee are like how can we get this done You know, that's their first approach to everything. Not like, you know, not like this is never gonna work, but okay, this is what we wanna do, how do we get there? And it it really has been an inspiration um, to me to work with people like that and they're game changers.
0: Thank you for telling us about these wonderful and resilient (laughs) leaders. so let's end with this. Don. if you had a magic wand, what one thing would you change about pro bono or access to justice?
1: The one thing I would change is that everybody that needs an attorney would have one. And that when you walk into those doors at the courthouse, access to justice is there for everyone.
0: Well, those are inspiring words for us to end on. Thank you so much for talking with me today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. I enjoyed it, and
1: um, likewise.
0: Thank you so much to Dawn for joining us today. To learn more about us and our work, please visit our website at probonoinst.org. A programming note, we're off next week for Thanksgiving. Like many of you, we'll be spending time with family and friends, eating some good food, or in my case, way too much delicious food, watching some football, and giving thanks. This is a holiday that captures our profound notions of gratitude and our impulse to give something of ourselves to others. We're grateful to you, our listeners, our podcast guests, and generous supporters of PBI. And we're also grateful to the pro bono community, All of the lawyers and professional staff who are working every day to promote access to justice and whose pro bono efforts, large and small, are making the world a better and more just place. Thank you, and Happy Thanksgiving. New and archived episodes of the podcast can be found on iTunes and YouTube. The upcoming Thanksgiving break might be the perfect time to catch up on any episodes that you may have missed. Thanks to all of you for joining us, and we'll see you next time on the Pro Bono Happy Hour.